that it is 6.54 that we are starting and not our usual 6.40. So don't want us looking at 7.03 and, and start panicking. So it's all right. Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. In the company of the upright, in the congregation, great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Father, we are so thankful for the opportunity and the privilege that we have to open up your word. I pray as always that you would speak through my weakness. The Holy Spirit, you would be our teacher. Let us block everything out for just a few minutes as we can open your word and, and get a glimpse of how awesome you are. Lord, sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in a consumer-driven culture. Our need to have the latest and greatest television or handheld device continually puts pressure on companies to improve and make better whatever item they produce. And even if it's already the most popular label or brand, part of the marketing game is perpetually separating yourself from the rest of your competition and showing that somehow what you offer is entirely unique. This isn't just with products, though. It's also with any number of services, which is why you'll see commercials advertising everything from law firms to air conditioning companies, giving you numerous reasons why they're the best and the others are just a waste of your time and money. Now, there's nothing inherently evil or wrong about doing this as long as you're honest and telling the truth. We all do this to one degree or another when we're applying for a job. We construct our resume in such a way to where we're basically saying, hey, please hire me instead of this other person because of dot, dot, dot. In all these instances, whether it's a piece of technology or a service, or trying to get a job, there's one primary approach that is being utilized to solicit the response of being selected. It's one main mantra that is being thrown out there, and it's this. You need to buy this phone because it's one of a kind. You need to use my service because it's one of a kind. You need to hire me because I am one of a kind. And while that's okay to do and say, and I understand the marketing approach behind it, it usually isn't the case. There's tons of TVs and phones that are pretty much the same. There's usually many good options for various services that you need performed. 
And even if you're extremely well-suited for a job and need it desperately, there's probably someone out there who could do the task just as well, if we're honest. But beloved, there is one category that we can truly say that the one who is in it is one of a kind. Our God is one of a kind. There is no one like him. There are a myriad of reasons why this is true, but our psalm before us tonight is going to make that case because of the works of the Lord. He is unique because of what he has done and his character that is put on full display in the works that he continually performs. Just a couple quick things as we jump into our psalm tonight. We're not really sure who wrote it. As with many of the psalms, the author is anonymous. It also falls into one of the two major categories of psalms that you see in the book. That being one of praise, and more specifically here with ours, thanksgiving. And the other major type that you see in the book of psalms is psalms of lament. We're going to divide our psalm very briefly this evening into three parts. And the first part is just verse one, and it's that the psalmist is exhibiting a heart of overflowing praise. Look at verse one again. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation right out of the gate. We get a glimpse of the heart attitude of the psalmist. He bursts onto the scene. I think he might have been very much like Pastor Grant. Praise the Lord, he says. His heart seems to be pumped, excited, and is overflowing with praise toward his God. And it's at this point that I just want to stop and remind us that even though our English translations have Lord in all capital letters, remember that whenever you see that in your Bible, that is giving you God's personal name. Yahweh. It's the name that he gave Moses at the burning bush. It literally means of God, he will be. God said of himself, I am that I am. But when you and I refer to him, when Moses went back and had to say who he was, he said, Yahweh, he will be who he will be. It's his covenant name. It's what separates him and separated him from all the other gods of that time that people worshiped. It sets him apart as unique as proper names obviously do. This is important, though, because the particular one that this psalmist is praising is Yahweh. It's no other God. It's no other deity. His heart belongs entirely to him. It, now, in some of your translations, it will actually translate it the way that it appears in the Hebrew. Praise the Lord, when it's in all caps like that, is the word hallelujah. He's bursting onto the scene just shouting hallelujah, praise the Lord. And not only is this psalmist going to praise Yahweh individually with his whole heart, he is going to do so, as the text says, in the company of the upright, in the congregation. He desires to be among others who have the same heart. There's a collective aspect to his worship here where he wants to be among God's people and join in shouts of praise to his great name. Is that your heart, brother and sister? 
Are you eager to come worship with your spiritual siblings? Or let's be honest, could you take it or leave it? Is it a priority? You see, God has made us each in such a way to where we should be worshiping and giving him glory in everything we do on a daily basis. I can even, as John Piper once said, drink orange juice to the glory of God. But he's also created his people to come together and worship and glorify him corporately. We are meant to reflect his image together to a lost and dying world who needs the gospel so desperately. I pray you're as excited as this psalmist is to come and give him thanks and praise his name among the people that he has called to himself. But what has sparked this psalmist, though? What has put him in such a concentrated place of worship? What catapults his heart into the stratosphere of praise is simply this. His God, Yahweh, is one of a kind. He is unique. Why? Because of his works. Because of what he has done and who he has revealed himself to be in his actions. This takes us to the second part of our text tonight. And that is the works of Yahweh that make him unique. The works of Yahweh that make him unique. The psalmist is going to take the majority of his ink so to speak, in this psalm to describe the great works of his God. He is going to describe why the heart that he manifests in verse 1 is the most natural response that one should have when you clearly see the resume of King Yahweh. He wants the world to know that his God is unique because of what he, do, uh, because of what he does and, frankly, what he can do, his power. I'm going to go through verse 2 through 9 again very quickly, and just take note of how many times the psalmist uses the word work or some type of action word. Beginning in verse 2, great are the works of Yahweh, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. Yahweh is gracious and merciful. He, provided, he provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Just look at what our God has done. Look at the faithful nature of Yahweh that is described repeatedly throughout that section. It's overwhelming. And this, of course, is just a sliver of what I'm sure God had done in this individual's heart. As you look in Scripture, you'll see the works of God being spoken of in two major categories. The first is his works in the physical world, or creation. If you're aware at all, especially this time of year, it's very difficult to not look around and see the extreme beauty in this world, from beautiful clouds to leaves changing to the glorious sunrises and sunsets. 
His glory is on full display every single day. The works of his hands are right in front of our faces, beloved. David said in Psalm 19, 1 and 2, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. The same David also said in Psalm 8, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Ecclesiastes 11:5 says, as you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. And one of my personal favorites is in Job 38 and 39, when Job, who has been ravaged and has gone through all of this trial, uh, these trials, if I could just get a word with God, I would ask him, why? Why, Lord? Why have you put me through all of this? Why have I lost my family? Why have I suffered such tragedy? And in Job 38, which you'll turn to with me now, just for a moment, God shows up. In Job 38, just the book prior from Psalms, hold your place in Psalm 111. God shows up. And interestingly enough, all of the questions that Job has just built into his heart and he wants to fire rapid, in a rapid way against the Lord, the Lord takes charge of the conversation in Job 38. He comes and it says in Job 38.1, Then Yahweh answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you? I'm trying to think, Job. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Look, look at these questions that the Lord's going to ask him. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely, Job, you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? What I want you to, to notice, and we'll look at just a couple more. Job doesn't even, or God doesn't even acknowledge Job's question about his suffering and why he's going through something. He takes him to creation and the works that he's done. Job, if you can understand this, then we'll maybe talk about those. Look at the end of chapter 38 in verse 34. Okay, Job, that was way back when I created everything. Let's, let's just go to the present time. Verse 34, can you now lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind. Who can number the clouds by wisdom or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens? And the Lord just goes back and forth in, on, in uh, Job 38 and 39 is, and asks Job question after question after question. And at the end, Job is wrecked. Job is wrecked. Lord, I am so sorry. I repent in dust and ashes. For the the simple point that the Lord was trying to communicate. Job, if you don't understand what you can see and how everything is functioning in the physical world, 
You can't understand all of what I'm orchestrating on the spiritual level in every human being to get exactly to where I want it to at a particular time. Guys, our God is different, and he is radically different from you and I. But even when we look at these physical aspects of what the Lord can do, I love them. I love science. I love looking around at God's good world and exploring all that he has made. I love enjoying his creation and looking up at the night sky to try and fathom how big the one must be who spoke all of this into existence. If there's anything that I am characterized by, it's limitations. Running, jumping, numerous things. This is a God who has no limitations. He speaks and universes come into existence. But beloved, as incredible as the works of our God in this physical world are, even greater still are the works that he has done for you and me in the other major category the Bible describes, his spiritual work. His spiritual works. You see, Yahweh made a covenant with Abraham long ago that from him would come a nation that would bless all nations. Throughout the Old Testament, it looked like that covenant, that covenant was in jeopardy as over and over God's nation Israel rebelled against and disobeyed him. It was bleak. It looked like if you were just looking at it from a human perspective, this is not going to be pulled off. But he is faithful, saints. What he says always comes to pass. He is faithful to his covenant. When it looked as if all hope of this covenant truly being fulfilled was lost, who came? Yahweh, the Son. Jesus came and displayed the works and character of God in a concentrated fashion and in a way the world had never seen. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 say, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus did many works while he was here on earth that explained exactly who he was. They shouted that he was the anointed Messiah that God had promised so long ago. Do do you remember when uh, the response that Jesus gave to those who came on behalf of John the Baptist, asking whether or not he was the one whom they had waited for? What did Jesus tell them? In Matthew 11, 4 and 5, Jesus said, Go and tell John what you hear, and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus appealed to his works to validate who he was. He was Yahweh come in flesh to his people and to usher in his kingdom. And praise God, beloved, the greatest work that has been done for us on our behalf was when Yahweh, the covenant-keeping king, died for us on that hill called Golgotha and suffered the punishment that was rightfully ours. 
Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us and rose for us on the third day to give us eternal life. 2 Timothy 1.10 says, And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Have you turned to him in faith and believed this good news, friend? Have you considered the works of our great God and given him your life because it's the right response that it demands? I pray you have. If you haven't, please talk to me or one of the other elders, and we'd love to share with you how you can have all your sins forgiven today by repenting of them and trusting in this God who loves you and gave himself for you. Micah 7, 18 and 19 say, Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depth of the sea. What other God does that? None. I would admonish you. This brings us to our third and final part of our psalm, and that is that the psalmist has a right perspective of reality. He has a right perspective of reality. Verse 10, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. As the psalmist brings his psalm to a close, he makes a profound statement that I'm sure you recognize in form from another book in the Bible, Proverbs. He says, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, the correct perspective or lens to view all of life with begins with having a right grasp of the one who has made everything. Not just everything, but everyone. Not just everyone, but me. And because he's made me, I answer to him alone. He has the full right and authority to tell me how to live my life and to tell me what he expects me to do. The way one is wise in this world is to understand that everything in this life and beyond begins and ends with the true and living God. If you see him clearly and relate to him properly, then you will live in the manner that he has created you for. You will be prepared to see him one day and stand before him confidently. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14 say, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And as we close the book on our psalm tonight, what is your perspective? What is your awareness and response to the good works of Yahweh in your life? Is there anything that clouds or blocks your vision from seeing all that he has done and continues to do for you? Have you fallen into a season of suffering that has caused you to doubt his character and faithful love for you? Do you let pride or pleasure or busyness distort your view of the king and his work? If so, repent. 
Please don't let your view of him be skewed or distorted by anything. Don't fail to see how unique our God is because of his marvelous works. Psalm 103, 1 through 5 say, Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. May we be a people who are constantly amazed at the works of our God. May we heed the advice that Samuel gave to the people of Israel in his farewell address when he said in 1 Samuel 12, 24, only fear Yahweh and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. Praise him, church. Give him thanks. He is one of a kind. There is no one like him. Dear Father, we are so thankful for your works. We are so grateful that from beginning to end, you have saved us, and it is a gracious work of you. Lord, please help us be people who reflect your image truly. And Lord, especially as Thanksgiving is next week and we'll be around friends and family who may not know you, God, may our attitude toward life and the works and the blessings that you have given us Spring in us a heart of thanksgiving that when others see us, they see Jesus. We love you and we thank you for tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.